Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about sulfur needs of crops. If you've got any questions about that or anything going on in your farm, you can call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We are live in the Morton studio today, and you know, with this sulfur topic, it is a really important deal. Now, I realize that over the years, you've probably heard about NPNK a gazillion times, right? Everybody's talking NPNK, especially your fertilizer dealer, in conversations with you about your fertility program. And that's great. NPNK are the primary nutrients. But you take a look at sulfur and how many pounds you actually need, it's a big deal. I was just talking to a couple of people yesterday about canola, and the needs of sulfur in canola are huge, and they're seeing a lot of response from applications of even gypsum, for example, in in canola, and it's awesome. But anyway, I, I think about when I was growing up on the farm, and the common talk back then, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, was acid rain. And you know that acid rain contained all kinds of sulfur. So we as farmers benefited from sulfur literally raining down from the sky on us all the time. So it was a way to foliar feed and to continue to feed the soil as the season progressed. Well, today we have much cleaner air. Now for me, Yes, as a human being, that's nice. But as a farmer, it stinks that we have cleaner air because now we got to spend more money on sulfur and our yields are double today, which means our sulfur needs are double. Okay, it never, never, never stinks to have clean air. I like having clean air and uh, that's that's pretty fine. And I, I'm sure you're just being funny, Brian, as you say that. But, you know, we, we do have to acknowledge that that is the case. That yep. is the case in our country. And, you know, we see this in developing countries just like ours. I don't think our country was this bad, bad place, but it's a developing country. And uh, that's just the way it was. The other thing that you have to look at is natural events. And when we have a volcanic eruption, I mean, that's going to put out most, more sulfur than we're going to do in a oh, lifetime. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, those kinds of things happen naturally as well. But the, the real thing is you just have to acknowledge, hey, our crops need sulfur. It's huge. It's one of the four main nutrients that we need. We often talk about N, P, and K. And honestly, Brian, what we should do is just say N, P, K, and S yeah, from but, here on out. Yeah, but you can't really say that because we need a lot of calcium. We need a lot of magnesium. For that matter, Matter, some crops, look at how much zinc we need. I mean, zinc's almost a secondary nutrient for some crops. So, I, yeah, I understand where you're going. But, I, I, I mean, this is this is what we talk about all the time here on Ag PhD. Let's not just get focused on three things. Let's take a look at what all do we need for our fertility program. And sulfur is a big part. All right. Uh, and, and as you mentioned already a couple of times, there are a lot of different crops out there and there's different levels of need for many of the crops. One thing that I find is, is interesting, too, when we start talking about whether it's your garden or if you're raising vegetables on a large scale, how, how much of a difference sulfur has just in terms of taste in, in uh, vegetable production especially. But 
that's kind of neat. As we talk to growers around the country, talk to agronomists around the country, they'll be like, oh, yeah, we can dial it up or dial it down depending on what we want to be and how we want things to, to turn out in the end for taste. And even some producers that lock in on, you know what, I'm going to be the sole supplier for a restaurant chain or a grocery store chain just because they want that consistent taste and consistent flavor that, that you can dial up with your fertility and management programs. Now, if you're raising corn and soybeans and wheat, you're probably not too worried about how it tastes. You're more worried about, hey, what's going to help me with yield? What's going to help me uh, uh, do the best job and have healthy plants out there? And sulfur is one of those nutrients that's a little bit of a challenge because it is leachable. And so we're going to spoon feed it in many cases, much like we do nitrogen. And that ratio of nitrogen to sulfur is one of those things that we've heard a lot of different numbers out there over the years of, oh, it could be 15 or 20 parts nitrogen to one part sulfur. Well, that's way, way off. Uh, maybe it's more like four to one. Uh, I talked to uh, a lot of growers that use a seven or eight to one ratio, and that's their management tool. It, it may be slightly different for you, but I know this. If you play around with that just a little bit on your farm and do some trial work and see, what if I up the sulfur a little bit? A lot of times when you do that, you see, ooh, I guess I was a little bit short and my crop was still responsive to more. All right. I got four key things here, and I'm going to try to do it all in the next minute and a half. Number one you need a lot of sulfur. I, I, I'm going for big time yields now on our farm. And granted, we're not here yet, but I'm hoping to get to 300 bushel corn, 100 bushel soybeans. Well, 300 bushel corn needs 45 pounds of sulfur and 100 bushel soybeans, 35 pounds. Okay. Now, as I say that, we have to keep in mind, there is a difference between sulfur and sulfate. Sulfate is the part that that's the that's the sulfur form that the plants are going to take up sulfate but when you're looking at sulfur versus sulfate okay 35 pounds of sulfur for example is 105 pounds of sulfate you have to multiply three times your sulfur to give you your sulfate number the next thing you got to know is out of every one percent of organic matter in your soil that soil is mineralizing nutrients all the time you can get roughly two to three pounds out of that organic matter for each 1%. So if you had 5% organic matter, that's 10 to 15 pounds of sulfur. That's a lot. Last thing, Darren mentioned leachable. Yes, sulfur is leachable, but it's only in the sulfate form that it's leachable. Sulfur, so when we talk like elemental sulfur, we're not too worried about losing that. In fact, that's going to basically slow release over a long period of time or maybe a short period of time, just depends on your situation and how small the particle size is with that sulfur. But anyway, once it gets in that sulfate form, yes, it is leachable, but it leaches at about half the speed of nitrate. So you don't have to worry about it a tremendous amount if you're in heavy soils with uh, in a low rainfall environment. Talking about sulfur on today's program and also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce Herbicide. 
Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You know what's convenient? If you're a soybean grower, what's convenient is Zidua Pro Herbicide. That's because you get... Fast and complete burndown together with up to two weeks longer residual than other herbicides and three sites of action for broad-spectrum weed control, plus built-in resistance management. All in one convenient jug. And that turns out to be very inconvenient for pigweed, water hemp, and mare's tail. Contact your local BASF rep today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy Two Save Three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgriLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And our topic is sulfur, certainly a huge nutrient of need really for every crop out there. But managing that is is a little bit different depending on what you get for soils and climate and so forth and, and what your tillage is. And a lot of things to think about here with sulfur. We've got our friend Ty Fickenshire with us. He's from Nebraska. And anytime I say Nebraska, Ty, everybody's like, oh, man, thinking about the guys in Nebraska um, now we get another storm coming through uh, to make life even more interesting. Yeah, it just keeps kind of coming around, doesn't it? <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure what kind of year this is going to turn out, but I think it's going to turn out good in the end if we could ever get out in the field. What's what's happened? Did, did guys get any time to get any fertility work done so far, or has it just been uh, waiting for it to dry, and about the time it dries, it's wet again? Yeah, that's been the case in, in this area. Um, we're actually looking at east kind of the southeast part of the state, there's been some work done um, where they haven't been affected by the flooding. But, but yeah, really all in all, there's been very little spring field work accomplished so far. So, You know, for us, we're going to be doing some strip-till in the spring yet, and, and uh, we're using a coulter system. We really like that mm-hmm. for spreading fertility out pretty close to where that seed is going to be, so we're going to be built, able to access it early. Is sulfur one of those nutrients that you're putting in the strip-till like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely is. You know, with with that, we do kind of have to watch how much we put on. We can get some, sure. some issues um, affect you know sulfur affecting germ. But you know, if we're sticking that twenty to thirty pounds of sulfur in the strip, um, we haven't had any issues at all with that uh, being put down in the spring. Now, the key to that, in my opinion, is we need to have some heat to kind of to kind of get everything uh, working there and and reduce that toxicity um, before we get the the seed in the ground anyway. Well, we haven't really missed any warm days so far, so they must be still yet to come. I think we might be okay on the weather side. But, you know, it's so different than um, the guys. Even in a two-by-two, you've got to kind of watch it a little bit. I think that strip-till spreads it out just a little bit more where you can get a little bit more of a rate out there. 
Yeah, no, and I, I agree with that. Um, we've actually got one of a different machine we've been using that we um, took and moved where we put the placement. So it's it's more blowing it um, from up above the soil instead of banding it down below. And we get a lot more good incorporation across the entire strip instead of just a, a single band. But, yeah, I'd agree with that. You go two by two. I mean, you can obviously hire rates with a pop-up, but, but getting it incorporated throughout the strip, that's ideal to be able to go with some higher rates and really feed a high-yielding crop. You run into a number of different rotations where you're at in Nebraska with corn on corn guys, with uh, corn soybean rotation guys, and and others. Uh, do you see sulfur being more important in any type of rotation there, or do you see the the corn soybean guys using it just as much as the continuous corn guys? You know, I, I would say looking at the corn on corn, we see um, probably more use. Uh, you know, typically we see about a twenty bushel. Um, declining yield when we go to corn-on-corn system. Um, with the guys that have been doing strip till and applying maybe a higher rate of nutrients than in the corn on soybean ground, we tend to see that yield difference uh, diminish rather quickly. And you know, I have a number of guys that are they're looking at how they can do more corn-on-corn production with that that yield hit um, and get away from quite as many soybean acres. And, and that's really been the key for us to kind of get that uh, make that a reality for them without having the yield the yield hit from the the corn-on-corn rotation. Yeah, I think that's a big key there. That I, I talk to guys all the time, too, that say, man, I, I'm expecting less yield because it's corn-on-corn. And and I say, why? I mean, we can we can manage this differently. You look at a lot of the corn yield champs around the country that are actually going corn-on-corn and getting those kinds of yields. So there definitely is a, is a workaround. And it's many people think it's just nitrogen. I I disagree. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's really a balance across the whole platform. Yeah, exactly. That's um, we start getting these high yield environments. You know, it's I know one of the labs we used in the past. We get a recommendation back on NP and sulfur, and then we started looking at the whole, you know, the whole works and and addressing all the nutrients. We really started seeing yield increases by, you know, by feeding the crop um, kind of a buffet of, of nutrients to really push the yield higher. Yep, I totally agree. Uh, we've been talking with Ty Fickenshire down in Nebraska. Ty, I'm certainly thinking about everybody down in Nebraska with all the extreme weather that's happened this spring, but I know uh, we'll get back to to uh, business as close to usual as possible once we can get back out in the field. So look forward to talking to you yep. when machines are rolling again. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Ty. Uh, I got a friend Riley up in Manitoba on with us right now, and and Riley, you've kind of got some of the opposite situation up in your area where there's super high sulfur levels in some of these soil tests. Yes, how's it going today? Going pretty good. Going pretty good. Uh, how about how about for you? Is, is anybody out in the fields yet at this point? Uh, no, not yet. I think we're kind of targeting the first of May is what kind of what we want to get doing we want to put some corn in then but we got to get that water from fargo to come through us yes hopefully we don't have too big of a flood <laughs> yeah it's fun when you have that to look forward to and for anybody that's watched uh uh the news in well really either canada or the united states you know what that red river valley and uh north dakota minnesota and up into canada does it's uh, not the fastest moving system and there's generally a lot of water that's got to head down that path uh, so, talk to me about sulfur, Riley. What what's happening on your farm? How are you managing things? Well, uh, s- traditionally, we just look at the soil test, and for some of our poorly drained ground, or well, most of our poorly drained ground, we just looked at the test. We got tons of sulfur. We don't, need to and as we started tissue testing and 
getting higher yields, we realized that a lot of the sulfur we were seeing was not available to the crop. So now we've been trying to play around with our sulfur rates a little bit. We grow lots of canola and we can get lots of sulfur in our canola crop. That's no problem, but we're learning some things about sulfur and wheat and sulfur and corn, that's for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. And and we see this with other nutrients too. Sometimes tests will show that we're high in calcium and have calcium shortages or high in iron and have iron shortages. So why would sulfur be any different? And I, I think it's neat that you're measuring that not only with the soil test, but also with the plant tissue analysis as well. So like, talk to us about that where you're still getting a response out of sulfur. How are you putting it out there to make it available for the crop? So uh, I'll I'll use corn, for example, because that's the one I play the most with. But when we're uh, when we're putting on our uh, 4600 blend, we'll spin it on with a spin spreader. I'll try and go at a 9 to 1 or a 10 to 1 ratio with uh, nitrogen on the fields that I'm playing around with it on or the ones that I'm showing on the soil test that I don't have thousands of pounds in the soil. But, yeah, so for the most part, we've just been doing that. And then when we go and top dress or side dress, I guess, on corn, then I'll go uh, 9 to 1 or 10 to 1 with uh, ammonium thiosulfate in 28%. And we've seen some pretty good results doing that. Um, I've never actually done them together in the same field where we go up front and in crop. So I'm thinking we don't need a ton of sulfur, but the little bit that we're short sure makes a big difference in the yield monitor. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Well, uh, and also uh, one other thing too, you recognize you've got some drainage issues and I'm sure if, if it was simple and easy for you to get those fixed, you already would have done it. So what are, what are the challenges in your area with improving drainage? Um, well, surface drainage is pretty easy to do. There's lots of guys that have scrapers and stuff like that, or we've got these rotary ditchers that will throw the dirt, uh, 300 feet to the side. That uh, A lot of that work has been done already, and now we're in the next step of trying to get our drainage regulation and get our tile, tile drainage permits in place. I actually uh, just got off the phone with a contractor here on uh, Friday, and we're going to put our first piece of tile on the ground this fall. Outstanding. So Congratulations. Then, then Riley, you're going to be one of Brian's favorite callers, not just one of <laughs> mine, and uh, uh, he, he will talk tile all day long. We'll, uh, we'll see how big a fan of me he is when he gets my bill for the tile. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I would say, I don't know, Brian, maybe this is fair, but Brian's like, man, I'll pay all kinds of tile tile bills as long as I get all the yield increase that comes off it. Because <laughs> on our farm, man, it's been a lot of tile we put in. It's been a one-year or two-year payback. Not always, but in a lot of cases it has. I, I don't know, on your heavy of ground, though, uh, it's going to have to be a fairly narrow spacing to, to make that work. Yeah, for sure. We're going to tile at 25 feet, and uh, I might put some in at 30 and some in at 25. Yeah, it'll be fun to see uh, how that all turns out. I know you're keeping track of things and watching really close. I really applaud what you're doing up there, Riley. Good luck to you here this spring. Hopefully it dries out soon so you can get rolling. Thanks. Enjoy your planting season. You bet. Thank you very much. We're talking about sulfur on today's program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Avoid the V-shaped pattern of injury caused by chemical buildup in your booms. The Express end cap from Hypro eliminates the dead ends that lead to herbicide buildup and provides easy access to your booms, giving a complete flush between applications. Hypro, helping you spray better. 
Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one-pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. Listen to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting for the Morton Studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com if you'd like, or find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. All right, Brian, we talked uh, about sulfur so far, mainly focusing on the fertility aspect of, hey, our crops need some sulfur, a lot of sulfur getting used to try to fix uh, high pH soils and, and that type of thing as well. Quite a bit to talk about with this nutrient. It's a really, uh, really important one and a good one to learn more about for your farm too. Yep, definitely. Let's talk about that lowering pH thing. So we do get a lot of questions about that. Elemental sulfur absolutely can lower your soil's pH, but here's what you need to understand with it. First of all, sulfur in order to break down and become sulfate has to have a certain bacteria 
that will break it down. So this is one of the kind of interesting things. There's a biological that we're working with now that's got some good bacteria to break down elemental sulfur and speed that process up. But you've got to have several things for this to happen because think about if your ground is flooded. Do bacteria like it when ground's flooded? No, they don't. You have to have fantastic drainage. So what we often will tell people is, look, before you ever even think about adding elemental sulfur to lower your pH, you've got to get your drainage addressed. If you don't have great drainage and lots of oxygen, that's a big key, then this is never going to happen. Yes, you're going to need some water in your soil, but you need oxygen. That is an enormous factor in this whole thing. So you've got the sulfur, you've got the water, the oxygen, then you need that bacteria. And what you're going to create is hydrogen sulfate. That is sulfuric acid, and that is absolutely going to lower your pH. Last year, just to give you an example on our farm, um, th there was one of the trials, or one of the high-yield guys that we had last year is actually David Hula. On his plot, he'd, he'd been here, the, last year was his fourth year, and he was frustrated just because, I'll be honest. Because he had to farm with Brian no. for that many years. And it, you know, for some of us, it takes a little longer. Others, it doesn't take quite as long. Dave, it didn't take as long. And he's like, man, I got to fix Brian's soil here because he's just not doing it. Well, here's the thing. What what you may not know about the, these high yield plots, and we talk about this every once in a while at our workshops. Not only did we, we asked all these like world record farmers, super high yield growers uh, for the last four years, and this year will be year five. So if you want to hear some of these really super high yield guys talk and actually see what they do in fields, come to our farm. You will not forget that day. Uh, but anyway, where I'm going with this is we, we didn't give them the best field. We gave them some of the worst stuff. And the pH was high. And I, I mean, we're talking on average, probably in that 7.3 to 7.8 range for pH. Well, that's not good for crop production. You want to have, if you're trying to raise great corn and soybeans, you want it down in that 6.3 to 6.8 range. So anyway, I know David was frustrated that our pH is too high. So he's like, so he told our research lead, Glenn, you know what? I'm just going to have this over with. I'm going to put a thousand pounds of elemental sulfur out. So he took ground that was in the mid sevens down to 5.3 by, by June. <laughs> okay. We obviously have great drainage, had that no problem. We just hadn't thrown a whole bunch of elemental sulfur out before. But anyway, Here's where I'm going with this. You can absolutely lower your pH, but does it do us a whole lot of good to go from the mid-sevens down to the low fives? Mm, well, on, on some things it does some good, but it does you as much harm as good. Here's the point. you got you got to be careful what you're doing for rate on that elemental sulfur. So, yes, you got to have the drainage first. Okay, that is the absolute first step. The second thing you're going to want to look at on your soil test is do I even have a condition where I need more sulfur? Because people that have poor drainage, in many cases, also have really high sulfur levels. So if they just fix the drainage, then the pH is going to start to come down without even adding any more sulfur. But if you need the sulfur, great, use elemental sulfur. The other thing that you got to know is with these, so there have been a lot of charts put out by universities, and I hate to say that they're wrong, but we have not been able to prove them right. So in some cases, we've been told to use 1,000 or 1,500 or 2,000 pounds of elemental sulfur, and we found 500 pounds work great or 300 pounds. So you don't need much in many cases. If you're only trying to get slight pH reduction, 
if it's lighter soil, you might only need 50 pounds. So elemental sulfur is expensive. It's $400 plus per ton. So we got to try to get this done for as little money as possible. I'm just trying to say don't go too far. With elemental sulfur, the key thing you're looking for is exactly the same thing you're looking for with lime. It is very small particle size. The smaller the particle size, the faster that breakdown is going to occur. And we want that hydrogen sulfate created. We want to lower pH a little bit in a lot of cases, but we also want just sulfate period so we can fertilize our crop. So a lot of agronomists love elemental sulfur in lighter soils because it is basically a slow release product a little bit's coming available almost every day throughout the growing season that's great that's exactly what we're after uh, one other thing that I, I didn't mention yet if let's say you have poor drainage and you decide to add a bunch of elemental sulfur what will usually happen is instead of turning that sulfur into hydrogen sulfate you'll turn it into hydrogen sulfide and your soil will smell like rotten eggs so that is a bad thing again if you want to use elemental sulfur make sure you have your drainage fixed first yeah a lot of a lot of words of caution there and I, I think the big thing that I would say Brian is just we've we've had a number of people over the years that we've heard about out there that have said oh elemental sulfur is a silver bullet this is my key i've got a high ph soil the first thing i'm going to do is elemental sulfur and as brian just pretty well detailed that's not going to work unless you get uh, the first steps and, taken first and we've also heard people say well elemental sulfur that doesn't lower ph yes it absolutely does if you have great drainage and you have to have good bacterial activity so if you put elemental sulfur out and you have poor drainage or let's say you have it fixed. So let's let's flip this around. Let's say you have great drainage. You put elemental sulfur out and you go, boy, that didn't do anything. And boy, I don't know if the sulfur is even coming available very quick. You've got one of two problems. Either you pick the wrong elemental sulfur source. You need a different source. Again, we're looking for a very fine particle size, something that dissolves very quickly in water. That's what we want. The other thing that you want to take a look at is bacterial activity. So I was mentioning earlier, there's a product where we're just starting to use now called microcycle that it has some of these sulfur solubilizing bacteria and that's pretty exciting to speed that whole process up well it's something that not many people are talking about or understand actually but right uh there's a reason why why uh, sometimes you see trials oh nope stuff didn't work and other trials wow it worked too Great. well. Yep. And we've definitely found that out on our farm and we've definitely found that out by comparing to other trials that we've seen universities and other private firms doing that. Uh, sometimes, yeah, there's one out of the three pieces together and it doesn't work and, and others there's three out of three and everything works great. And uh, like Brandis mentioning with what Dave Hula had done on our farm, uh, that, that was pretty cool too, just seeing what could be done and have a really positive impact on Neil because he had over 300 bushel corn there, which is fantastic. We talk often about Neil Kinsey here on the show. He is one of the best soil fertility people that you're ever going to meet. Uh, he is from down in Missouri. He was just here last month and did a three-day course with farmers. It was it was really fun. I sat in on the whole thing, too. He's awesome. But anyway, he talks a lot about sulfur. We have a lot of people we bring on the show from time to time, just fertility experts, and they talk about sulfur quite often. Well, 
again, I, I want to come back to what I started the show with. We, we talk so much about NP and K and we as farmers get really focused on NP and K. And also sometimes we'll get focused on like one micronutrient. Like very often I talk to corn farmers and they say, yep, I'm going to do NPK and zinc. Well, why zinc? Well, because people have told me I need zinc. Like my fertilizer dealer, they sell a lot of zinc. Okay, I mean, all that stuff is great. Again, I agree 100%. But let's not forget sulfur. I'll, I'll, I'll state this one more time. 300 bushel corn needs 45 pounds of sulfur and 100 bushel soybeans, 35 pounds of sulfur. And again, to figure sulfate, if you're going to be talking sulfate, you've got to take your sulfur number times three. So if I had 10 pounds of sulfur, that's 30 pounds of sulfate. So we have big needs for big yielding crops. We'll be right back with some of your questions after this. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bioenhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at accelerontsas.com slash riseready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed. Using NSERVE Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERVE delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERVE is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA-registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today. 
come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today. We're broadcasting from the Martin studio, and right now we are in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. It means we're taking your phone calls at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have an agronomic question. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We get soil tests in and pictures of weeds and a lot of different things, uh, which which is interesting. My wife is always interested in what I'm getting on email because uh, sometimes it's like this email that I got today from Joel in western Kansas. He said, uh, hey, guys, I appreciate your show and all the information that you're sharing. I was scouting one of my fields in western Kansas, and this particular weed is becoming more prevalent than I'd like. And... Uh, just wondering it, what it is. Is it water pod or is it something else? I, I need identification help and then also need to know what to do to spray on it. Well, thanks, thanks, Joel. Really appreciate the pictures. And what's interesting is we got four pictures here, Brian. And how many different weeds do you think we've got in four pictures? At least two. I, I think there's at least a couple different ones there, and they look fairly similar. Uh, this was a little bit of a debate, and and one of our um, uh, producers of yep. Ag PhD TV, Mark, and I were talking about this too. And Mark said, "You know what? I really think you got tansy mustard there." And I said, "Mark, I think it's flixweed." And Mark's like, "Flixweed? I've never heard of flixweed." And uh, and he pulls it up on Google, and I think it said flixweed, another name for tansy mustard. Now, I don't know if they're exactly the same thing or if they're two different things, but I know this. A couple of the pictures I looked at and thought, tansy mustard for sure. A couple of pictures I looked at and thought, eh, I don't think it's tansy mustard, but it sure looks like flixweed. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's the same thing or not. But either way. Wait, in what crop are we talking? In Well, in wheat. It's got, yeah, look I, at one of the pictures there. You got some small wheat. That yeah, I just at. wanted to make sure that that that's the crop word that he's having an issue with. Either okay. way, you may have some ALS resistance out there if you've been using ALS products, but we do see a lot of guys using ALS products on those uh, and being fairly successful. Uh, and either way, I mean, these are weeds that are emerging very early in the spring. So spring annual weeds or uh, winter annual weeds, because you're going to see them out there right away. So you could be doing a fall treatment program or using sharpen down at two ounces. You could be doing that in the spring if you're putting spring wheat in. Sharpen does have some burn down as well if you put some uh, methylated seed oil with it and get a nice warm day and sunny day to spray on. I think you do a nice job burning them down. Uh, in crop, uh, do you have some better solutions for us, Brian, than just starting off? I mean, I, I would say for sure you want to start with Sharpen. Well, yeah, but hold up one second. What, you said at least two weeds. What's the second one? Tansy mustard and flixweed. I think they're two different things. Well, I was so disagreeing with Mark. So think, he thinks they're the same thing, but... So you're saying this is the same thing here? From this this view, this looks like prostrate pigweed, but I can't tell because I don't have a close-up of this. It's not prostrate pigweed. Your eyes are failing you. That looks uh, like tansy mustard to me, Brian. Okay. Well, whatever. It's, a, I mean, it's in the that, rosette from stage. From that angle. Here's, here's yeah. the challenge. is We've got some weeds in the rosette stage, small broadleaf weeds in the rosette stage. And you know, for a burn down on those, um, hey, if you're going to plant this spring, awesome. In a no-till situation, I'd use sharpen at two ounces. You could right, you could sure. spike some other stuff in there, but I think the sharpen at two ounces will burn them down by itself. Yeah. Now, post-emerge, if it was me on tansy mustard, um, I personally, I'd go with husky. And I usually will suggest throwing in one of those ALS things like affinity as well, and then you should have it under control, don't you think? 
That's what yep. I would do. Yep, that's what I would do as well. That's what I do as well. So, yeah, that, that should work fine for you, depending on what your crop rotation is, Joel. But that would be our first thought if we were just trying to control those in wheat. Thanks for the pictures, and thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Good one from Rob here. He said, I'm, I'm curious about sunflowers and nutrient needs on the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. You don't have micros listed on sunflowers. You just have NPK and sulfur. Um Hey, that's a, that's a great – oh, and he's from uh, – Rob's from Manitoba. I agree with you, Rob. Um, we, we don't we have double check. Well, there. we better double check on that. So we worked with the International Plant Nutrition Institute on most of that stuff, so we can have Alex check that out. I don't remember uh, – I mean, if there's any anywhere else we could possibly find that. So we can do a little more checking into that. Yeah, I looked at 2,500-pound at, uh, sunflowers and – Similar draw nutrients, not exactly the same, similar draw uh, to 60 bushel soybeans. And you look at 60 bushel soybeans, just to compare another broadleaf crop, and iron and manganese, zinc, boron, copper, are all, all big needs. So definitely you need micronutrients for, for your sunflowers. And I think that's one where, uh, again, like Brand said, I mean, we soil test, tissue test, and, uh, yeah, we'll have to see if we can find another source to – to get the micros out there, or if we just missed it somehow, I kind of doubt we missed it, but uh, just in case we did, we we can add those on. But thanks for pointing that out to us, Rob. We really appreciate that, and thanks for checking out the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app as well. Got a question from Wyatt, and Wyatt is up in northern North Dakota, and he said, "I'm I'm curious. You're talking about sulfur, and oftentimes we hear you talking about cation exchange capacity or CEC." relating to how much nitrogen we can hold in our soils. And you figure 10 to 1 on uh, CEC and nitrogen, uh, where 10 parts of nitrogen for each one CEC. What about on sulfur and even boron? Is there a ratio that would apply to those leachable nutrients? Well, you don't need many of them. But what we generally talk about with sulfur is it, it leaches at about half the speed, or I should say sulfate, leaches at about half the speed of nitrate. The advantage you have with sulfur is we've got a nice form called elemental sulfur that can break down slowly over time, so that really extends that thing out. We don't have a nitrogen form that could potentially take five years to fully break down like elemental sulfur could if you had great big particles. So anyway, it's a lot different material, and you just need so much less. With boron, it doesn't leach even as fast as what sulfate does, so I'm really not too worried about either sulfate or boron as long as I am, I mean, and until I get to a really light soil and have lots of rainfall, that's where I start getting much more concerned about the sulfate and boron thing, and then I'm just going to do a little bit of spoon feeding. But yeah, sulfate's about half the rate of nitrate, and boron is even slower in terms of leachability than sulfate. Thanks for the question, Wyatt. Really appreciate that. Uh, got one that came in, Brian, uh, in, in relation to our talk on plant tissue analysis. Uh, and he says, I've got 10 weeks of data from corn in 2018. I started at about 365 GDUs, and I continued every Monday morning for 10 weeks at 8 a.m. going out in the field pulling the plant tissue analysis. Hey, first of all, let me comment on that. Awesome. That's a great plan. 
Uh, go ahead and get started fairly early in the growing season. I love that you're keeping track of growing degree units. That's pretty nice. So you could replicate that work later on rather than saying, well, I, I waited a week and then I pulled another sample and you didn't have any heat and any sunlight and you had virtually no growth. Uh, I, I kind of like writing down the GDUs. That way you kind of keep track of how fast growth was going along. Okay, continuing on with the question. He said, during V6 to V12, we had an average of 80 degrees Fahrenheit and 2.2 inches of rain, uh, dry and hot. Oh, uh, each week had two inches of rain, and you called that dry and hot? Man, I'd say that is beautiful, but okay. Uh, and he said, well, PNK showed a big drop-off in week four and never recovered. Nitrogen stayed sufficient, finishing at 2.95% on the final tissue sample. I'm wondering, can I trust this data to determine my nitrogen application rate in 2019? Last year, I applied 30% pre-plant nitrogen, 70% at side dress at 500 GDUs. My yield, um, see, yield was half my goal last year. I only got 85 bushels because it got too hot after tassel, and it was a catastrophe. So I'm just wondering, is the tissue data useless since I had such a, a low yield? No, it's not useless. So here is my lesson out of that. And I, Darren, when you said two inches of rain each week, I think Must he meant total, two inches total, total yep, sorry. during that time frame. Uh, okay, so we farm in a pretty dry area of the country. And here's my problem with that. If I can only get a a little bit of water into the plant as we go because I don't have a lot of water in the soil. That means with that water, there has to be lots of nutrition. So that's why a guy with more rainfall might be able to get by with 4% base saturation K. For us, I think we got to be a lot closer to 7. We just have to be more concentrated. Your nitrogen probably was fine. You just got to bump that P and K. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD after this. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success. Like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. 
and later Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Farmers, wouldn't you love to have one set of concaves for all crops? With Estes Performance Concaves, you can. That means no more backbreaking work changing concaves or downtime. Plus, Estes Concaves stop rotor loss with less grain damage and a cleaner sample. It's the best money you can spend on your combine. Call 765-650-4131 or visit EstesPerformanceConcaves.com and take back your bushels. That's 765-650-4131. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren live in the Morton studio. We're taking your calls and questions to finish up the show here today. If you've got a question for us, just send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or you can call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Right before the break, we had a call and we were, t- we were talking about these tissue tests and basically the question was okay the p and k dropped but the nitrogen looks sufficient we don't really know for sure what's sufficient and what's not but you know if you're just off the charts low on the p and k i just come back to we in in dry areas of the country we've got to do everything we can to have good levels in the soil where the roots are and where the water is so i want you to think about this just a little bit a lot of people have gone to no-till, which we agree with where, where we're, when we're in dry areas. Here's the problem we ran into in no-till. We started no-tilling 25 years ago. We were no-till on half of our ground roughly for 10 years. The problem was we didn't get the fertility down in the ground where the moisture was. So our top three inches, especially two inches, were really loaded up by the time we got done with our 10-year span. And when we dig root pits down in the ground, we'd find lots of water down at, you know, a foot deep, two feet deep. Well, we weren't putting fertility down there. So just think about it for a second. You know, I talk to farmers all the time that say, well, I got moisture down in the ground, so that's a good thing. You know, when it gets dry, my plant will pull moisture up. That's great. But I always equate it this way. Let's say that today, instead of eating your lunch, eating supper, even eating breakfast, All you got to eat was water, okay? You just had water, okay? And then tomorrow, you just get water. And the next day, you just get water. Well, pretty soon, you're going to be awfully unhappy, and you're going to be looking pretty sickly. Now, for some of us, it may take a while before we're looking pretty sickly, but the point is here, uh, that is not a good thing for people, and it is not a good thing for plants. So where I'm going with this is, 
if you found a drop-off with PNK, yes, I agree that if we had rain, then more PNK would get into the plant. But let's face it, for those of us who farm dry land in dry areas of the country, that's not going to happen when we want it. So we've got to figure out a way to outsmart Mother Nature. And what I'm trying to tell you is what we've done on our farm and what we encourage you to at least consider is deep injection of some P and K and some of the nutrients that don't leach down through the soil profile. Nitrogen will leach, sulfate will leach, boron will leach, but P and K and zinc and copper, there are a number of nutrients that they aren't going to leach. So if you put them down where the moisture is, then when your plants are sucking moisture up, you're in good shape. You've got food to go along with the moisture and the odds are extremely high you're going to get higher yields. So I would look at how many nutrients do I have? What's my placement of that? And then you should be in much better shape. Now, the other thing I want you to consider is how about compaction? So if you've got, let's say, moisture down at eight inches and fertility down at eight inches, but you have compaction at four inches so your roots can't get there, well, obviously now we've got another problem that we've got to address. But again, you, it, I just want you to be thinking about, hey, if I have very little moisture that's going to go into that plant and nutrients get into plants with moisture, then that means I've got to have more concentrated nutrients, okay, because less moisture is getting in. And when you do that, you are going to find you'll have higher yields. And I can just, I'll give you the example of on our own farm, 2012. We went three months, and this is no joke, we went three months with no significant precip. Unbelievable. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is disaster. Do you know our best field that year was 200 bushel corn, and our farm average was over 60, I don't remember if it was over 60 or under 60, but it was real close to 60 bushel beans. And I'm going, where did this come from? But if you dug down, you found out where, where it came from. We had more nutrients deeper. We had moisture deep too, and it made an enormous difference. Now, unfortunately, we didn't do that on every field. We didn't have all the ground long-term, didn't have everything fixed the way we wanted. So our best ground versus our, our ground where we hadn't done this, um, <laughs> it was it was pretty stark contrast. But I'm just saying, you do some of these things, and now you're much more drought tolerant. That's a big deal in the part of the country that we farm. All right. Uh, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. I know uh, we had kind of a lengthy explanation there, but that's that's kind of what it takes sometimes. And, and I had kind of a lengthy well, explanation. Well, and it's, yes. it's, it's honestly really cool that, that you're doing the extra work and trying to learn more about your farm. And, uh, you know, Brian, I guess uh, maybe we just take the rest of the show and talk a little bit about uh, the guy that got us started in all this, our dad. Uh, last night, uh, Brian and my dad passed away at the age of 77, Ron Hefty and uh, our hearts are pretty heavy today thinking about that and thinking about uh, all the cool things that we learned from him and just the opportunity that we have to farm, you know, growing up on a farm uh, and having a dad who loved farming and loved uh, crops and loved livestock. Uh, what a great what a great way to to start our lives off and then to have somebody that was that focused on details and, and hard work and his faith uh, was certainly an inspiration as well. 
Yeah, but let's be honest. It was mainly the hard work uh, that, <laughs> that, we, we, that we got accustomed to. Well, <laughs> okay. When I was 10, okay, so I'm just, let me tell this, that, this one first. So when I was 10, dad just comes in one morning, yep, you're doing hog chores. I go, what? Yep, you're doing hog chores. So he pulled me out to the hog barn, and now I was in charge of hogs at 10. And so then I recruited Darren, and I think I, I said, Darren, I'll pay you a penny a day to help me. And Darren did. He was gullible. <laughs> but anyway, it was. I never was, was doing it for the money. <laughs> Obviously, but anyway, it, it was it, it was pretty fun um, in that we got to learn a lot. But we were working yeah, we all sure the time did. because it was hog chores every morning and every night. Uh, our summers were filled with work. Our weekends were filled with work. You know, when you have livestock, it's twenty four seven. Sometimes, I just remember one Christmas we're literally carrying pails of hot water from the house out to the hogs through, to get through, the water through done. several feet of snow, and which seemed On Christmas Day, which seemed much deeper when we were little kids, of course. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of lessons there along the way, and it was. Yeah, it was fun. You know, just uh, money management. Uh, Wait, we were talking yeah. about that early We, we on both and... used the word fun. We never said that back then, I will <laughs> guarantee you. Oh, there's a lot of fun too. But yeah, there was a lot of hard work. There's no question about that. And uh, we always joked about dad that he met us when we got off the school bus with a broom and a shovel. And that's about right. It was There was always a job. There's always a project. And, you know, we talked about some of those, Brian, when, when you wrote the book, $100 an hour jobs, lessons from dad just about how how that all went down and, and just some lessons that I think are good for, for everyone to pass on to their kids. Yeah, so you can find that book on agphd.com. But about 10 years ago, I wrote that I'd, I'd been taking notes for a few years because dad would say something and, you know, or I just, I'd just remember back that, oh, yeah, he, he said this about this thing and, you know, what was, what was kind of the lesson out of that. So I'd kind of taken notes for a few years. And one day I'm like, you know, I just need to make a book out of this so I don't forget the stuff and so it's out there. But anyway, the the, the the thing with him, yeah, he was just a super hard worker and we talked business all the time. Now, to, on, on the personal side of things, he was pretty pretty uh, pretty pretty tough to please. But on the business end, it was it was great because we would talk business all the time. Now, you know, a lot of I often say a lot of dads will talk sports to their kids and, you know, they're into this thing and that thing. And our dad would literally work 24 seven. So we were doing it was business lessons. Well, it's so much like it's many of the farmers that we talk to. What's your hobby? My hobby's farming. Or, hey, I have uh, corn and soybeans and wheat and my hobby is cattle. <laughs> you know, just just love it. And uh, there isn't a, a big retirement plan of, oh, I want to go do this. It's, no, I really enjoy what I'm doing and I enjoy farming. And I think one thing about dad, he, he could talk farming day and night and talk about the business side of things as well. And I uh, just really enjoyed it. And a lot of his closest friends, that's uh, some of the conversations that they really enjoyed. And the other thing, too, that I'll, I'll think about with, with our dad uh, in his later years, he really enjoyed that uh, we were able to get into the operation and, and take things over and run with it. And that, that meant so much to him to have family close. And the other important thing and the important lesson with all this stuff, too, is to make sure you have done a good job with estate planning so things can continue. So fortunately, we have. Everything's going to continue just fine with our farm and Ag PhD and, and any of our business interests. 
Um, had he not done that and had he not been willing to step aside and pass some things on and sell some things off, um, you know, we might be having a totally different conversation today. So, yep, we just we really appreciated all the things that he did for us over the years. And again, uh, our dad, Ron Hefty, just passed away yesterday. Well, we certainly appreciate all the thoughts and prayers and well wishes that we've gotten from uh, many of our friends and uh, and Ag PhD listeners already. And um, it sure means a lot to us as well. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. We really appreciate that. And, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>